Hey, Crispin Schroeder here, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. This is the North Shore Vineyard Audio Podcast, and this is audio from our Sunday service on December 19th. Actually, I had to track, retract part of the audio today because we had an equipment malfunction the other day, and so we only recorded the front part and the last part. So you will notice when you're listening to this that there's a, a, probably a little change in the audio uh, for the middle section, but uh, I felt this was an important enough message that I needed to get it down um, because this kind of uh, hits on some themes and ideas that we're going to be covering in the coming weeks. So, just so you know that, getting into it. Anyway, thanks for listening. We had a great uh, Christmas Eve service, a couple of Christmas Eve services this last weekend, and uh, looking forward to a new year. So, Thank you for listening to the North Shore Vineyard podcast and uh, got another year podcast to come. All right, let's go to the talk. And don't forget to check us out on the web at northshorevineyard.org. All right, thanks for listening. Sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. All you need is love. You can sing along with me if you like. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. Y'all aren't bad here this morning. Some of y'all need a little bit more coffee, I think. But you got one more chance to sing in this next verse. Nothing you can know that isn't known. Nothing you can see that isn't shown. Nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. It's easy. All you need is love All you need is love All you need is love 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 is all you need All you need is love All together now All you need is love All you need is love 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 is all you need. Give yourselves a hand. <laughs> we were going to try to put that in the worship set. We just thought, well, maybe. Well, I started off this morning with uh, the song All You Need Is Love by the Beatles because uh, I figure it's a, it's just such a clever introduction to uh, the title of our message today, Love All. And I, I can't help but when I, when I hear this song, but think of a different time in, in our world's history, uh, not too long ago, but a bit more of an idealistic time, 
where you see hippies running around with flowers in their hair and they're just saying, hey man, all you need is love. We just need to, can't everybody just get along and uh, give peace a chance. And while the sentiment may seem a, a, a little dated in a sense, I think the root idea of it is still one that we subscribe to today. The idea that, that ultimately love is the one thing that we really need, that, that love is the one thing worth living for in this world, and the one thing that we, we truly, whether you're a Christian or not, we, we truly have this hope at least, and most of us a belief that love will win out in the end. So in our culture, love has become, it's still every bit as popular today as when John Lennon and Paul McCartney penned those words. And we see that it's in all aspects of our popular culture. All you have to do is take a little look at, the, at your local selection of channels on TV and you'll see whether it's reality TV with The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, Flavor of Love, Rock of Love, uh, all these different shows where people are competing for the affection of uh, somebody. And it's not just reality TV. If you listen to your radio, you'll find that uh, you can't hardly go more than five minutes without hearing a song that's either about finding love, having love, or losing love. And as much as I'm not a big fan of Leonardo DiCaprio's earlier stuff, I have to say that without Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet in Titanic, it's just a movie about a sinking ship. Well, I remember when that movie came out years ago. I, I thought, this is silly. Who would want to watch a movie called Titanic? Because we know what happens. They build a boat. They take the boat out on the water, the boat hits an iceberg, and the boat sinks. It's not a compelling story in and of itself. But that's not why people watch Titanic. They watch Titanic because in the midst of this boat that was uh, sailing out to sea, there was a couple who finds first love. And that's with along with the... Uh, soundtrack in the background by Celine Dion. That's the stuff that pushes people's buttons and has made Titanic to go, uh, go on to be uh, up until James Cameron's last movie, uh, Titanic, uh, I mean, Avatar last year. Titanic was the largest grossing movie ever. You know, I, I read a book. Uh, I was on a, a staff retreat a couple of weeks ago. I and when I say staff retreat for the Kenner Vineyard, I mean for the North Shore Vineyard, uh, staff is me and my guitar. And uh, I rented a, a little cabin up in Percy Quinn State Park and just took a few days to study and plan out the coming year, or at least as far as I could get. And while I was there, I read a book that... Um, I read a book called Desiring the Kingdom, and the author in it, he's a philosophy professor up at Calvin College, but he 
He basically breaks down kind of the ways that we have thought about human beings in the last several hundred years. He said you know, a few hundred years ago, the French philosopher Descartes famously came out with this uh, philosophical idea that I think, therefore I am. And the idea behind that philosophy was that, that human beings are primarily thinking creatures. The thing that sets us apart from squirrels and alligators and chickens is that we are thinking creatures. He goes on to talk about how the church, though, has, has kind of adapted that idea and said that, no, no, we're not primarily thinking creatures, but we're primarily believing creatures. I believe, therefore I am. Well, the author of this book goes on to say that, well, neither one of those really hit at the truth because really at a fundamental level, we are creatures of desire. And that's deeper than, than our thoughts or our beliefs. And he sums up the philosophy as, I love, therefore I am. I think this fits great with, with our understanding of the biblical narrative. God creates human beings in his own image. And we know from the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John, certainly from the example of Jesus, that, that God is love, the very substance of his being, the, the very makeup of God is love. So in a sense, I love, therefore I am, is, is, is a reflection of our being created in the very image of God. We are created to be creatures that love, that, that are in relationship with one another. Now, I want to turn our attention to uh, pop culture for a second. There, you know, you, if you want to know about love in, in modern-day America, you need to turn on your, you know, go watch a chick flick, and uh, you'll find out all about love. <laughs> I want to look at two pictures from the world of chick flicks that give us a different idea each about what love is. The first comes from Jerry Maguire. You may substitute Renee Zellwinger for, say, Meg Ryan, and you may substitute Tom Cruise for some other guy, but it's the, it's the same kind of scene that happens in, in every chick flick. This scene has to happen. And this is the scene where love is discovered, where the protagonist realizes that all this time while he's been looking for love out there uh, in the world, it's, it's been right here. It's been his administrative assistant. It's been his co-worker. It's been, as in Harry Met Sally, his best friend. But the only problem with, with movies like this and there's plenty of them out there, is that they tend to focus on love being found, you know, kind of first love. These movies typically end with uh, the couple, you know, finding first love, and then perhaps they go on and, and get married a few minutes later, and then they just kind of live happily ever after. And that's the end of the movie. Because, frankly, the stuff that happens after that, it's not... Not as fun to watch. <laughs> you may experience this in your, your own marriage. Well, I want to look at another, another picture. 
from a movie called The Notebook. Now, this came out a few years ago. Notebook stars Rachel McAdams and Ryan Gosling as uh, Ryan plays a guy named Noah and Rachel plays a girl named Allie. Now, for the most part, for most of the movie, The Notebook seems pretty much like any other kind of romantic film. We see the boy meets the girl. They fall in love one summer, but he's from the wrong side of town. She's from a rich family, and they don't want her to have anything to do with him. They send her off to college, and after a few years, she finds another guy and gets engaged to him. But all this time, Noah has, has been working on restoring a home so that, that one day he could uh, win her back and they could live happily ever after. Well, there's the, the confrontation between Noah and, and there's this tension that builds up as uh, she has two guys fighting for her heart, the guy she's engaged to and then her first love. And, of course, like, uh, like you would expect from every great chick flick, uh, finally Noah gets the girl in the end. And that's where most people, most of these kind of films end. You know, they live happily ever after and, and that's it. But what we really find in this movie is that the whole story is being told from the vantage point of an elderly Noah to his elderly wife, Allie, who they live in a retirement home, a nursing home, assisted living place. And Noah gets up every day and he, he grabs a notebook and it's full of, of stories about the younger versions of themselves. Actually, we find out that it's the journals that Allie wrote about their relationship when they're younger. And so Noah goes and visits his wife who is suffering in, in, in the, the early stages of, of dementia. She doesn't even recognize him or, his chi or their children anymore. And yet Noah feels like if he can just keep reading these stories to her, that at some moment it will break her out of this dementia. It will free her from that, that, that she can experience love with him again and remember who he is. Probably the saddest scene that you see in the movie is, is a point where that very thing finally happens. Noah's reading to his wife, reading the stories, and finally, finally she, she, she realizes that Noah in the story is, is him, and, and she begins to have a moment of clarity. And you think, oh, this is amazing. It's like the high point of the movie, but it doesn't last very long. They get up, they start dancing, they're holding one another, and you can see that, that this love that has been there for years is rekindled again. But then, then Allie slips back into dementia. And now she doesn't know who he is. Actually, they have to call attendants in and sedate her and take her away, and, and the guy's just crushed. I'm not going to give the final ending of the movie away. I've given enough of it away. But the point is, this is probably a more accurate picture of the love that the Bible describes as God's kind of love. It's a little bit more accurate than the Jerry Maguire kind of love. <laughs> the kind of love that, that we shovel in mouthfuls of sugar and popcorn. Uh, the, 
each year. It's a kind of love that stands the test of time, a kind of love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, even in the face of disappointment. I want to look today at the famous chapter called, many refer to this as the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. I'll cover the whole chapter today, but first I want to go through the first three verses. The Apostle Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Paul starts this this exposition on, on the attributes of love by talking about a few ways we can miss the point. And, and as a pastor, th- this reminds me of a, different, a few different kinds of churches. First on the list, you got the charismatic church, a group that's defined by speaking in tongues and prophecy. And, and Paul's saying, if you're doing all that and you don't have love, dude, you're just making noise. Anybody ever been to the Guitar Center before? Dude, they need to pay those people more money than they get. I, I really, I can't, I can't take more than about five minutes of it. If you haven't been in there before, you go in there and you've got the guitar amps over here and people playing, you know, for, all the way from expert musicians all the way to guys who just got a guitar and they're all trying to play Stairway to Heaven. And, <laughs> and then you've got the drummers back here and then you've got the keyboard players and you've got the bass players and it's just a wild cacophony of sounds. I just get an instant headache. I'm like, get me out of here. But Paul, Paul is, if, if, if he was writing this in our modern day age, he said, you know what? If you're speaking in tongues and prophesying, but you don't have love, dude, you're like the guitar center. You're just a bunch of incoherent noise. It's not going to do anything. Then he goes on to talk about those who have wisdom and knowledge. There's a lot of churches that camp out there. We're going to be the church that figures out every last thing that the Bible says, and we're going to study it, the Greek, the Aramaic. the, the We're going to figure it all out. Paul says, without love, you're just getting a big head. It's, it's not doing you anything. And then he talks about those who have tremendous faith. There's a lot of churches that want to camp out on that aspect, that we just got to believe God forever. That's the, that's the sole purpose why we're here. And Paul says, without Love your faith. It's meaningless. And then finally, he talks about social justice, kind of, you know, churches that, that give to the community, that, that take care of the poor. And I got to tell you, when I'm going through this list of things, studying, I'm like, wow, you know, like you could give away all your possessions and, and still not have love? Wow. But all it took was God to remind me some of the reasons I've done stuff in my life. You ever given anything away to look good before? I have. You ever done stuff for other people's approval instead of God's? Yeah. You can get into some self-denying things motivated by your own ego and how super spiritual you will look to the people around you. And Paul's saying, dude, you can go to the stake to be burned. If you're not doing it from a point of of love, it's meaningless. 
But then he goes on to define God's love. He says, love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Let me ask you this. How many of y'all like being a tourist sometimes? You like being a tourist? That's fun, isn't it? I like going down to, yeah, this is me and Dina on our honeymoon. <laughs> Pull off those, uh, those are some cool looking pants. Uh, <laughs> being a tourist is fun. I remember when I first moved to Louisiana, I was living over in Hammond down the road, and I remember visiting New Orleans for the first time, and I did all the things that you do when you go to New Orleans for the first time, right? Like Jackson Square, Cafe Du Monde, got me some beignets and some really dark coffee, and uh, and then we, uh, you know, went and caught the architecture, some local music, and and of course you have to make time for if you if it's your first time in New Orleans, you have to be initiated into New Orleans as a tourist. You have the guy come up to you because he can pick you out of the crowd, and he says, I bet you $10 I can tell you where you got your shoes. Anybody ever fall for that before? You haven't ever heard that before? Oh, okay. Oh, really? How do you do that? Nice. Well, Paulette, I, I bet you $10 I can tell you where you got your shoes. Yeah, okay. Dang it. Dang it. But that, at the end of that day, after I'd lost my 10 bucks and a little tired from hanging around the quarter, I went home, and that was it. The reality is, being a tourist is pretty easy, isn't it? Wherever you go. Faith just recently went to uh, New York City, and she said, wow, that was a cool place to visit. I wouldn't want to live there. Because what does that imply? It implies living in that place is going to be a lot harder than visiting it. There are no doubt people that came down after Katrina. I've talked to several. I've seen news stories on them. People who had never visited New Orleans, who came from other states, and, and, and they were just in awe of the cultural heritage that we have down here, of the, the music, the, the architecture, the food, the food. And, and, and they decided that I want to be a part of, of rebuilding this thing and, and helping it come back to normal. Well, I, I, I suspect there's a lot of people that came down having been exposed to one little slice of New Orleans thinking, man, I want to be a part of this, only to realize that, boy, if you're going to live in New Orleans, it's not going to be fun all the time. It's not Mardi Gras every day. <laughs> you got to, it takes a lot of love. You know, all my friends that live in New Orleans right now, it takes, you got to love the city to stay there because you're, you're living in a city where the, the, the footprint is a lot bigger than the actual residence. 80, some 80,000 homes that need to be destroyed because they're still, nobody's done anything with them five years later. You've got corruption in the local government and the police force. Hopefully they're cleaning it up. They're making steps. You got taxes going up, but the services are, are worse than they were five years ago. It's a bad situation. If you're going to be there, you got to love it. You got to love it. You got to love the city. Friends of mine that have stayed in New Orleans, they love it. They got a heart for it. See, it's easy to be a tourist. It's much harder to be a local, isn't it? See, one of the things that 
sets the locals apart is a certain commitment, a certain attachment to an area. They keep investing in it. And I believe that's a a slight little picture of the God kind of love that we're talking about. I want to continue reading. Verse 8, Paul says, Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when, I put, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now Paul, he goes through this long list of things from prophecies to tongues to giving stuff to the poor to having faith, all of these. And he says, the greatest thing, the one thing that will transcend all these things, the one thing that gives meaning to all these things is love. You know, last week I talked about living in such a way as to anticipate the kingdom of God, that, that we're proclaiming God's coming kingdom in the here and now. When we do that, every time we forgive people, when we seek peace, when we seek justice. But the biggest way we do that is in love. You know, I, I think this list of things that Paul covers, spiritual gifts, wisdom, taking care of the poor, those are all things that I would like to see in every church. I would like to see those things happening. I think that's a good thing. But we can get sidetracked in, into any of those areas and camp out there. And if we lose love, we've lost what it's about. See, one thing that, that stands out, of, one of the many things that stands out about God's love in this, pack, in this, in this uh, passage is that it has this quality of sticking with it, enduring, hanging in there, even in adversity. You know when he says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things? Those are words that aren't about when things are going good, are they? <laughs> Those aren't words that you describe when you're a tourist. Those are the words of commitment. See, somehow we've come to believe that love is all kind of the when Harry met Sally thing or the you complete me. And we think that that's the ultimate of love, that love is ultimately this ooey-gooey feeling we, we have inside and it just gives us chill bumps and every time we watch a movie, oh, I love that. But you know what? Love is much more than that. While it includes that sometimes, it's much more. And we did a program down in, um, at the Kenner Vineyard where I was on staff for seven years called Kids Hope. And we adopted a a public school, our church did, uh, called Schneckenberger. Uh, Judy was one of our mentors down there. But my wife, Dina, she was the director of the program. And Kids Hope basically was a, a program where we would train up mentors from the church and they would go spend one hour a week with an at-risk kid that the teacher would recommend. And so as a mentor, you would commit to showing up one hour a week for the rest of the school year. The cool thing is this last year, they actually had some kids that have gone all the way from first grade to fifth grade, which was as far as the school went. 
and they've had a mentor in their life showing up once a week for one hour for five years now. See, the genius of, of Kids Hope, and I, I was a mentor with several different kids, but what's interesting is when you first show up, you're a stranger. This kid doesn't trust you, doesn't want to talk to you, and it's, it's that way for at least a couple of months. But at some point, you reach this moment where the kid starts opening up. They start talking to you. And then they start looking forward to you showing up. And then you become the highlight of their week. Now they're excited to see you every Wednesday. See, the thing that the genius about Kids Hope is is that it's not just one-time events, but it's in its consistency just showing up. See, for many of these kids that are coming, you know, the, one of the last kids I mentored, his, his mother was a prostitute and his dad was in jail. And he was being shuffled from one home to the next. For this kid, I, for that year, I was one of the only consistent things in his life that was good. I would show up. I didn't have a whole lot to offer. Heck, most of the time I was getting him to teach me how to play basketball because I didn't know how to play basketball. I'm, I'm horrible at that. But what wins out with these kids is that you consistently show up. Does that mean I wanted to show up every Wednesday? No. I got to tell you, probably half the time, I didn't feel like going there. I would be, I'd be in the middle of something on a Wednesday. I'm like, oh, I, I'm just, I, I would love to be able to work through lunch. I got so much going on. And I got to shut it all down just so I can go meet with this kid. Sometimes I had a bad attitude. But I showed up because I committed to. And you know what? When I get done with that, each week I would be reminded that, you know, that was probably the best hour that I spent this week. Probably out of all the things that I did that mattered, that probably mattered more. And you know what we got to see with these kids? We got to see that just having one adult spend one hour a week with them, it begins to change their life. They begin to get better grades. They start getting along with the other kids in their class. One hour a week. The funny thing is that when you get down to it, we usually start the program a few weeks into it, if you add up all the hours you spend over nine months, it's only like 24 hours. It's not a whole lot of time. But boy, it means something. Why? Because I believe it's a little bit of God's kind of love. It doesn't just love when it feels good. It loves consistently. Even when the feelings aren't there, it chooses to bear all things, to believe all things, to hope all things, to endure all things, to keep showing up because what I'm doing actually matters. And it matters not just for the time being, it matters eternally. The interesting thing about this list of stuff that Paul says, he says, love, all these things, all these other things are gonna fail, but love is the one thing that will remain. It's the one thing we do in this world that will continue to the kingdom of God. It's the one thing we can invest in that is truly eternal. There's going to come a day where tongues and prophecy are redundant. There's going to come a day where we don't need to pray for people to be healed because everybody's going to be healed. There's going to come a day where we don't need faith in God because we'll be with him. But love, we're never, ever going to outgrow love. It's always going to be necessary. So when we participate in that, we're participating in something of God's divine nature that starts here and continues in the age to come. But somehow we bought into the idea that love is love only when it 
feels like love, right? Only when we have butterflies in our stomach and we have chill bumps and, and we only feel love when it feels good. But I want to tell you, love, it takes discipline. It takes hard work. This kind of love that he's talking about, have you ever noticed that you don't have that naturally? Anybody? Uh, wives elbow your husbands. Uh, you know. <laughs> it doesn't come naturally, but it is available to us. It takes discipline. It takes work. You know, when I first got, uh, when Dina and I first got engaged, boy, that was, we were, we were in love. Man, I was writing songs about her. I was just, I would talk on, we had these crazy things back in that day. They were like, like cell phones, except they had a cord going into the wall. It was nuts. And, and I would get on that thing and I would talk to her for hours and then when I wasn't around her, we would, we would talk to our friends. My friends got so sick of hearing about Dina. But I was in love. But you know what? It took me about three days into my honeymoon to realize, wow, there's going to be a whole lot more to this love thing than, than the whole when Harry met Sally stuff that I, you know, I thought love is going to win. And, 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 and love is good. You know, all you need is love. I realized, no. <laughs> You need, you need patience and understanding and conflict resolution skills. You need all kinds of stuff. I've mentioned this before, but as, as much as I kind of hope for the idealistic package, uh, you know, that I think we all want, that, that we see in chick flicks, you know, like, yeah, we just love each other and happy ending. Man, it, it was like about five years into marriage before we really started liking each other much, you know? I mean, I'm serious. Yeah, it was, it was kind of sad at first. But you know what? For us, love, we kept showing up and we kept working through stuff. And we realized if God was bringing up stuff, it's because he wanted to deal with it in our hearts. And so for us, it required counseling. <laughs> it required books. It required lots of friends. It required lots and lots of hard work. But I can honestly say to you, 13 years into it, I love Dina more than I've ever loved her. And it's not a love that's just based on feelings. You know, I don't, I don't just have butterflies in my stomach every morning when I look at her. Unless I ate something bad the night before. <laughs> but I can tell you that in the process, through all the trials, the conflict, the hard times, God has actually developed in us the character of love the substance of love. Now we actually have some substance. Because you know what? In the beginning, we didn't have much substance of love. Our love was up and down. You make me mad, I'm out of here. It was that kind of love. <laughs> but now we actually have something of substance, of God's nature, something that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, we've done a lot of good things in this first year of being a church. We've done a lot of it affected the community with some, you know, we did a, a food drive for the food bank. On Thanksgiving, we passed out 50 Thanksgiving dinners to families that need them. We, we delivered them. That was awesome. You got anybody get to deliver those? That was a great way to spend a Sunday afternoon. But you know, as much as I like that stuff, and we're going to continue to do things like that, that's easy, isn't it? It's easy to take a Thanksgiving dinner to some family in need, You to to suspend your selfishness for <laughs> an hour. That's easy. You walk away going, wow, that was good. I got to help somebody out. 
They appreciated that turkey. I feel good. This is great. But you know what? The, this lady, Frances, that helped us put together the outreach, uh, she actually con- she came up with the list of people we were taking them to um, because she's actually in their lives all the time. She said, just remember something. She's like, I appreciate what your church is doing. This, this is meaningful. But she's like, you know, there's a lot of churches that have no problem with doing stuff when it's Thanksgiving and when it's Christmas. But just know the week after Thanksgiving, there's a lot of families in our community that won't have enough to eat. She said, there's actually homeless kids in Covington schools. Like, what? She's like, yeah, there's actually kids that are homeless who are going to school in in, in public schools in Covington. She said, please don't forget about the community the rest of the time. Like, oh, dang it. This was going to be so fun. Why'd you have to say that? I wanted to be a tourist. No. I, th- I think these things are meaningful, and it's a start. You know, we've started as a church where you've you got to start somewhere, and we've started. And I think we're getting a heart for the community. I think we're making some connections. What I want to say is that in the coming year, in the year ahead of us, be praying, be thinking of how can we go from this kind of tourist love to local love? How can we go from loving in spurts, as important as that is, to loving the community consistently, consistently showing up. How, how can we move to a point where people would look at the North Shore Vineyard and say, you know, I, I don't know a lot about these people. I just know they consistently show up. <laughs> they just consistently show up. You know, at the end of Kids Hope, that's about all that some of these kids could say. They couldn't say anything about uh, how smart and intelligent and, and witty their mentors were, but they could say one thing. They just keep showing up. And it makes a difference. So today we're going to take up an offering uh, as we close for Seeds of Hope. As of our last service, we were halfway there. So we only need about $3,000 more today. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm going to keep passing the offering around. No, no. <laughs> Dig a little deeper. No. But... As we get ready to receive this offering, this is going to advance the work of the kingdom in Zambia, and this is a true act of love. But I just want, I want us to realize this is just a step. This is just heading down the road. And then I look for ways, and I pray that you'll pray with me for ways that we can consistently love the community and the future to come. Do you want to, you can dump that other stuff out in my office and then, yeah, pass it around again. So uh, why don't you stand with me? I'm going to close this with a word of prayer and we'll pass this around. Father God, we, we thank you so much for the way that you've loved us, God, that you, you loved us, Lord, not, not when we were deserving love, God, but when we were just a mess, and you still love us when we're still a mess. God, we thank you for your love that believes, that sticks in there, that hangs with us. God, help us to be vessels of that. We pray that you would bless this offering today for Zambia, that, that, the, that, we could, that the facility that we uh, purchase for them, Lord, that they will, it'll be a place where people encounter you and encounter love 
It'd be a people, a place where people um, are treated for their sicknesses and a place where they are brought to healing and knowledge. We pray that you bless them even as we uh, take up this offering this morning. And Lord, help us in the coming year to move from, from tourists, Lord, just loving in spurts, loving when it feels good, to, Lord, in all aspects, whether it's our relationships in the church, whether it's in our relationships in our family, or with the community around us, God, that we could consistently show up and love with your kind of love. We open up our hearts to it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Zach's going to pass this around and... Uh, you came prepared to give, just write uh, Advent Conspiracy on it. Well, you don't have to at this point. We're going to keep the money separate. So yeah, whatever you do, we'll get it to the right place. And just so you know, 100% of this money does go to the actual thing we're doing. So there's no advertising or uh, hidden fees. We're, we're not turning a, we don't keep 10% of this for, uh, you know, my brilliant speaking uh, advertisements on this subject. Thank you guys for coming out with us, being here this morning, and God bless y'all. We'll see you this uh, Friday for our Christmas Eve services. It's uh, 4 o'clock and 5.30. 4 and 5.30, yes. God bless y'all.